Good afternoon. Welcome back to another episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast. As always, let me give you the rundown on where you can find us on social media. You can find the podcast on Twitter at QB Spotlight. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. And you can find the man, the X's and O's guru, the guy who puts in the hard work every weekend to break down these group of five quarterbacks, Mr. Stephen Hamner on Twitter at S-T-E-V-E-N. Hamner, H-A-M-N-E-R. Steve, we are taping here on Tuesday night. It is shortly before 7 o'clock. I am about 45 minutes away from you on the uh, best side of the Tampa Bay area in Tampa, Florida. But, you know, you're over there in Pinellas County, not too bad, living the high life over there on the beach. How you doing, my man? Man, all things are good here, Eric. I think, you know, if you want to put it that way, we can put a vote on Twitter and say, hey, do you want to live on the beach or about 40 minutes away from the beach and let, let them decide what part's the best. But no, everything, all is good here. Uh, I think we're both excited for another week of football, even though it's, uh, you know, there's new things to expect and, and new things going on. But I think we're both just happy that, you know, it kind of actually kind of feels like football now. We've got more teams playing and, and things are coming up. So uh, all, all is good here and just looking forward to, uh, to another weekend of college football, man. I think on that Twitter poll really quickly for our listeners, uh, Steve is a family man. He is a happily married man with, you know, an addition on the way. And uh, I am a single bachelor. So I think if we break down our audience by that uh, dichotomy, that will decide whether or not where you want to live. But uh, we got a we got a full week uh, of college football to preview and break down. So let's go ahead and jump into that. We are coming off of a busy week two in group of five football. We're going to start with the Sun Belt, Steve. Uh, going to jump right into it. You know, uh, um, no uh, sugarcoating or let's just jump right into it with Levi Lewis. What did you see from him in uh, their matchup? Yeah, so I thought, so so real quick, I think the Sun Belt low key it, right now, I know a lot of other conferences haven't played yet, but they're having the best uh, quarterback play from from the, the group of five as a whole. And not just uh, not just like their starters, but multiple teams have several guys that can be a, be a starter. So uh, I, I'm super impressed with the Sun Belt so far. And I think Levi Lewis could be the best quarterback in the Sun Belt. Uh, you know, they, they, they took down Iowa State, who, uh, you know, was a 11, 11 and a half point favorite. Um, you know, the, the thing with Levi Lewis is, and, and he knew this going to the game, Iowa State was going to be bigger. They're probably going to be faster. And, you know, they, they were going to have more talent in general. However, I think Louisiana showed, you know, that they went with them, you know, pound for pound, round for round. And a a lot of that go, a lot of the credit goes to Levi Lewis uh, for just having a calm kind of uh, relaxful uh, kind of presence that, you know, I think the team really fed off of and they did not make any mistakes, which Iowa state did make mistakes. So I think the biggest takeaway from Levi Lewis is he took what the defense gave him. There was nothing real flashy about it. Um, But he did have the best throw of the entire weekend as a 78 yard bomb, uh, that kind of put Louisiana kind of in the driver's seat, for lack of better terms. They, they also had a few other special teams uh, touchdowns. But, again, there's nothing real flashy for him. He was this calm, cool, collective. He's got a nice, quick release, uh, keeps his eyes downfield the entire time, and just didn't make any mistakes. And when it comes down to it, the team that makes less mistakes usually wins. So Levi Lewis, my favorite type of performance is when there's nothing flashy. It's just all ba- the basic stuff done correctly, and that's exactly what Levi Lewis did. 
Steve, I want to read you a quick note before I have my follow-up here. Uh, I'm looking at Levi Lewis's Wikipedia. It reads as follows. Levi Lewis is a starting quarterback for the Louisiana at Lafayette Raging Cajuns. He is also known as the father of the Iowa State football program since 2020. <laughs> so someone clearly has jumped into his Wikipedia and edited that. Steve, here's my, uh, my question for you on Levi Lewis. You're talking about a quarterback who is listed at 5'10", 184, so you know how that goes. Right. However, came off a year which he threw for 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, only four interceptions. And the note you have here is um, does a good job keeping his eyes downfield despite the pass rush, real good with his eyes. Two-part question for you. One, how big is that in um, in talking about the eyes, right? One of the things we talk about with, with quarterbacks, specifically bigger ones, is that they're able to see over the offensive line and use their eyes to see downfield. What do you see from someone who is listed at 5'10", that he still has the qualities and capabilities to do those things? And does it – the second part of the question is, with him being a smaller guy, that capability to be able to see over the defense, kind of break that down for our listeners. Is that something that's just specific to a big quarterback? Or can smaller quarterbacks possess that ability but just in a different way? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. I think the past over the past few years, I think uh, the you know six foot and lower quarterback uh, not kind of making it has been kind of debunked now. Uh, you know, Kyle Murray and you know Drew Brees right at six foot, Russell Wilson about five eleven. So I think the things that that the shorter quarterbacks do, you, one you know the offense extremely well. So I don't really care if someone's in my face or not. If I know you know receiver X is supposed to be at this place at this time. Uh, this drop back, that's all I'm worried about. So I'm just finding a lane I can see through. So I think that's what Lewis really uh, demonstrates well. Uh, so knowing the offense, finding a lane you can see through, and there's no reason, there's no need for you to see over a six-six guy when I can just look to the left of him and look to the right of him uh, and, and, and see what, what I need to see. Also, the anticipation factor is not a big, uh, a big deal here as well. And so that's something Lewis does well. You anticipate well. You keep your eyes downfield. Whenever you keep your eyes on the rush, now my whole kind of my whole plan is gone. And now when I look, my, when I pull my my eyes back up, my timing's off, my rhythm's off. That's just gonna kind of kind of put things in a whirlwind there. So, uh, kind of the, to answer the question all in one, kind of a uh, to wrap the question back up. I think finding your throwing lanes, anticipating where receiver is gonna be when he needs to be there, is the biggest thing that uh, can <clears throat> excuse me that can help you know quarterbacks that have a, a problem seeing over the line. Next quarterback up on the list is Appalachian State's quarterback, Zach Thomas. And, you know, you talk about it here in your notes, uh, bad weather. That was the first thing from anyone who saw that game with notes. So I uh, want to give you a chance to, you know, expand as long or short as you'd like on Zach Thomas. Uh, just what you see out there and um, go from there. Yeah, I didn't have a ton to take away. Uh, kind of the, the, the same as last year. He knows the system extremely well. So uh, even with the new coaching staff, it's, it's the same system, a lot of RPOs and um, he's just comfortable with the offense and the weather didn't affect him that, all that much. They just didn't take that many shots downfield. And, and the, the one shot they did have downfield, the uh, defender fell down and actually led to the touchdown. So not a lot of, no big takeaways here. Just Zach Thomas getting the job done again, uh, regardless of the weather. Next situation we want to go into is one that, you know, both of us had found pretty intriguing. It's Arkansas state. Uh, they obviously go ahead and, you know, get a, a phenomenal win for uh, for that program. But Logan Bonner and Lane Hatcher, uh, what did you see from that situation? Yeah, I feel like this could uh, this could be a quarterback situation that we're just we're going to see through it the entire year. At least that's kind of how, how it looks like right now. Um, I thought both played well. And with the exception that the, in the 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 receiving group is 
you have like a, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type deal. You've got Jonathan Adams who's coming down with everything thrown his way. And then uh, the rest of the receiving core who was extremely talented, actually made some pretty big plays, but there were just so many drops from the receivers. So it was really hard to kind of fault the, the, the quarterbacks in any way this game. Bonner did have one interception. Uh, and it was kind of a bad pick. He just didn't see the the, the uh, linebacker there over the middle. Um, but besides that, both played well. Bonner played the majority of the game. But, you know, both had touchdown passes. Both had big throws. And at the end of the day, when you have Jonathan Adams, uh, you know, on, on the outside, if he's ever one-on-one, you, you just throw him up the ball, call a play, find your matchup. Whenever Jonathan Adams is one-on-one, just give him the ball. And then, you know, uh, as, as Adams showed, he single-handedly took over that game and, and helped them beat a Power 5 school. Want to ask you a quick follow up on that because you know we've talked about that quarterback situation for a while now. It's one that you know seemingly will continue. Uh, I guess I'll do a two part question. One, Jonathan Adams, do you see uh, another Omar Bayless type guy and someone who that's just going to be the number one and number two option for a state? And two, I know we kind of touched on this in previous weeks, but the, you know they're coming off a win. Do you still believe that they're going to have to eventually make the decision to go to one guy, or can this be a thing that just continues? You know, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it kind of quick. Uh, yes, I think Adam is going to be that number one guy, and I think he has that NFL potential. And two, you know, before the season started, I think we both thought they were going to pick a guy and kind of roll with him. But now, I wouldn't be surprised to kind of keep this two system kind of quarterback situation going. Um, I do think at some point someone's going to find a hot hand and the coach is going to ride that hot hand and that's going to lead to your kind of full-time starter. But until, you know, that, that person, until Bonner or Hatcher just, uh, you know, kind of takes the bull by the, by the horns, if you will, and kind of elevates the game so much better than the next person, I think you're going to see this back and forth situation. Next quarterback we'll dive into is Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. Uh, you talk about him being the surprise of the week. Just what do you see there? Yeah, so I thought – Either, you know, uh, either they had two quarterbacks last year, Peyton and Carpenter, and, and they got the majority of the playing time last year. McCall had, you know, just a few snaps last year, and he, was a, he, he redshirted last year. So, um, man, he was a huge surprise. I had, no, I had no idea who he was. He comes out, has five touchdowns. He's a great runner, and he, he showed the ability to, you know, let his legs kind of open up the passing game. And, and uh, if you go back and watch film, you see how that clearly affected the defensive backs of Kansas where – each time the ball was, was was snapped to him, if he took any kind of uh, step in any direction, the DBs for the, the eyes of the DBs are immediately in the backfield, which uh, led to several open receivers for Coastal Carolina kind of running downfield. And you know, even though Kansas is you know the the worst Power Five team in, in all of college football, it's still a pretty you know big deal that a Sun Belt team like Coastal Carolina, who is at the, and the lower end, at least was, maybe they're on the come up now, can go in and, and be a school like Kansas. Yeah, Steve, I know you kind of hesitated there. I don't think that, that we're uh, offending any of our listeners by saying that Kansas is probably one of the worst Power 5 yeah. schools. Uh, you know, it's a rebuilding situation yeah. there. Or go ahead, Steve. No, I, I was agreeing. Yeah, m- maybe Rutgers can give them a run for their money. But uh, besides that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the next one we're going to get into is uh, Texas State. I mean, talk about a a phenomenal performance there. It's one game that, quite frankly, um, given the circumstances, it was probably a little bit surprising to see that they held tough because they don't have their quarterback in Brady McBride. Talk about Tyler Vitt. Just what did you see from him? Yes, it was a uh, I know we talked off air about, you know, having to get used to guys being, you know, scratched off like 
hours, minutes, or whatever minutes before the game, and that's kind of what happened to the quarterback, Brady McBride. Um, and so Tyler Vitt has, you know, experienced the past two years. He started kind of off and on for Texas State. And this is the second year in the system of Jake Spavadol, and I think it really showed. And it, his composure was the biggest thing I took away from it. You know, they're down twenty four seven. I think that was a score at halftime, and he comes out, plays a pretty good game, and is able to execute and does things definitely differently than McBride. He doesn't have that that uh, that mobility and kind of dynamic. Uh, presence with his legs but the thing he does have is he's comfortable in the pocket and he lets his guys make plays he finds the matchups they likes and man texas state's got some good receivers man and that's the biggest thing if you're a quarterback and you know you got some good receivers and you find the matchup you want just get in the ball 50 50 chance you know half the time they're, they're going to come down with it so uh i think regardless who's back in at t- for texas state they're in good hands and uh man talk about probably the, the best game of the weekend against utsa Without a doubt, that game was a barn burner, and we will talk about UTSA's quarterback in a second. Before we get to him, we're going to transition into Conference USA, and the first Conference USA quarterback up is Charlotte's Chris Reynolds. Unfortunately, we have a little bit of breaking news that we will get into. Uh, going to touch on UAB's situation in a second at the end here, but we will start with Charlotte. Uh, quarterback Chris Reynolds is going to be out for an extended period of time due to uh, injuries suffered in that game. They will be going with a quarterback who, uh, Dom uh, Dom Schaefer, is that the name? Kirk, I, I got to go back and, and double check. Um, but uh, really quick, just your notes into Reynolds. Uh, I will uh, double check and, and get that uh, last name correctly. But uh, as far as Reynolds, he he was banged up early on that game. And, he, and that was a uh, rather, as we talked about with Zach Thomas, you know, kind of sloppy in terms of the weather is concerned. With Charlotte, now we know that they will be transitioning away from uh, Chris Reynolds due to injury. Do you think in your notes here that you have that uh, the uh, the glimpse of the RPO and what makes Chris Reynolds special, is that something that you think is really crucial to the offense and kind of the weapons around them for Charlotte? I, I, I would think so, and I think a lot has to do with with the quarterback. And from what I understand, I think the, the guy, is it Schaefer, Schaffner, Dom Schaffner? Um, Dom Schaffner. Yeah, that, there we go. That, that's yeah. what the name I was trying to get. You got it. I remember breaking him down a little bit because he started at, uh, man, I think he started at NC Central, went to the Juco and I was here. Uh, okay. So I remember breaking him down a, a little bit uh, when he signed to come in. He's from what I believe he's a pretty athletic guy and uh, you know, he's able to use his legs and the fact that he won the number two job over any of the quarterbacks already there. I think that shows that, you know, typically you want a, a number two quarterback to be able to do what the number one quarterback can do, or at least can fit that system. So I think they're going to keep the, I keep, they're going to, I think they're going to, uh, to, to, to keep kind of that RPO, um, that RPO staple or the RPO foundation, that foundation of their offense. Cause that's what makes the whole offense run. And I believe, you know, that's kind of what you know, Will Healy, Kind of is known for. I'm sure they could could change the schemes if they needed to, but I would imagine that uh, there that Dom Schaffner has the same uh, qualities that Chris Rollins has. Yeah, quick notes on Dom Schaffner coming out of JUCO. He's listed as a three-star prospect. Was someone who, as you said, did see time at North Carolina Central before going the JUCO route. Is a North Carolina native. He'll get a chance to get his first start at UNC. So it's a Big time moment for the young kid. And uh, he's also a little bit bigger than Chris Reynolds. Chris Reynolds listed at 5'10". I can tell you right now, Chris Reynolds is not 5'10". 
Um, but Dom Schaffner is listed at six foot two oh nine. So a bit of a bigger frame, bigger body. And also, like you said, someone who was athletic and can do some of the things that Chris Reynolds is already doing with the offense. I just think my big concern really quick is uh, Reynolds and Tucker, Vic Tucker were clearly the top, in my opinion, top quarterback and receiver tandem in conference USA. And what kind of rapport that Dom Schaffner, Dom Schaffner, excuse me, uh, has or does not have with Vic Tucker. I think that's going to make the biggest difference. Um, I want you to touch on this really quickly before we talk about Frank Harris. One of the things that I um, like to take note of is I remember, let's use Asher O'Hara, for example, and you can insert backup quarterback. I mean, this goes along, you know, no matter what program or what quarterback you, you can, you can say this about any situation. The backup quarterback tends to have a better rapport with some of the lower receivers on the depth chart, because that's typically who they're running with in practice. Uh, Steve, uh, first off, you know, as our resident quarterback, feel free to, um, confirm or deny that assertion. And the second thing is what effect do you think that will have on the uh, maybe receiving output from, uh, um, excuse me, Vic Tucker? I mentioned Asher O'Hara. The reason I say that is because, for example, while Asher was a starter last year, it looked like he had a little bit of a better rapport with some of the other receivers like Jimmy Marshall and guys like that, as opposed to Ty Lee, who was one of the best receivers in Conference USA throughout his entire career. So just talk about that and, and how that may play a, a factor for Charlotte. Yeah, that's something that uh, popped out to me as well, and 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 just the fact you know the the current you know COVID uh, environment that we are in, for for lack of better terms, he missed out on so many reps, and all those reps are you know stuff that's so valuable. You know, the, the seven on sevens in the summer, just throwing routes to your guys. So, and, and definitely he he was probably not seeing many reps of the ones uh, even during uh, fall practice. And so uh, I can definitely attest to that. You know, in high school, you're with the ones all the time. Then I get to college, and I'm with probably the, the fours and the fives, and uh, the all the other walk-ons that are just, you know, they, they don't even they don't even give us jerseys. We're just up there up there running around. Um, so it, it definitely is gonna. It definitely, I think, uh, will take some time to kind of ke- connect that rapport with with his re- receivers. But I think that's up to the coaching staff to play to his strengths and kind of just put him in the best situation possible and not ask him to do the exact same things that Chris Reynolds does, even though the system is going to be the same. I, I, I hope that makes sense. So uh, I, I would definitely put on the coaching staff to uh, put him in you know, the, the, the position that he needs to be put in to succeed. Like I said, next quarterback we'll transition to is going to be UTSA's Frank Harris. And this is a guy who we're going to do a deep dive into a little bit here. Uh, Steve, I'll let you take it away, opening notes, and then we'll follow up with the question. Yeah, so like like we mentioned earlier uh, when we talked about Tyler Vitt, this game, Texas State and UTSA was the best game of the weekend, I think, by far. Um, Texas State jumped on the board quickly, and then UTSA jumped jumped uh, to tie it. And then from there is kind of the Frank Harris show and just kind of the, 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 the running show uh, for UTSA as well, which I think is probably a reason why Frank Harris won the starting job. One, because of his ability to run, but two, because of their their uh, – they're good running backs that they have that they can all complement each other. And that's not to say that he can't throw the ball because I think he's got a very smooth delivery and, and he does do a good job keeping his eyes downfield and he's efficient. He takes what the, D get, what the defense gives him. And he's very good on the run as well as he showed uh, on, on Saturday. So I think he fits the system so well uh, that I think they'll be able to kind of build more. And, and, and once they see more formations and once they see, uh, more defenses, then they'll have kind of a, a bigger uh, 
plays to choose from offensively. Uh, the one thing I would like to see is them push the ball downfield a bit more, and that's probably just being uh, a quarterback bias who just likes to sling it a little bit. Uh, it's hard to argue with a team that scores 51 points, uh, even with overtime. Uh, but I think that's something to, re- to remember, that they didn't even really show uh, any plays or schemes to push the ball downfield. So that's still in their back pocket whenever they need it. So that's something else to, as you watched UTSA throughout the the year that to see that kind of the the that evolve and then build off the quick uh the, the running game the quick pass game and kind of be able to push the ball downfield which i'm excited to, to, to see how they kind of implement that in steve when you talk about frank harris he's a quarterback who's been banged up really his entire career but when you look at him coming out of high school uh, three-star prospect again i i hate kind of like leaning on that three-star deal because you know that's so subjective but when you look at his offers had some big time offers had ucf baylor georgia tech i just want to ask this first and foremost what do you see from him just you know your notes here talking about being a great athlete good on the run um utsa is a program steve that in the last three years of the frank wilson era uh, I I mentioned it earlier today on the Conference USA podcast. I'm going to kind of try to recite it from memory here. I don't believe they finished any higher than 107th in the nation in points per game. The highest number I believe they had was 22.3. There was one year in 2018, which they averaged 14.5 points per game. So this is a team that has struggled to put up points throughout. So two-part question here. One, I just kind of want to get an assessment as far as what you see about Harris and his athleticism, given the fact that he's suffered knee and shoulder injuries in his career and two the offense granted it's only been one game but the offense that jeff trailer is running and you being a native twi- a native texan excuse me i think you're very well um i think kind of the best person to ask about this do you see more from that offense just in that game as far as what they can do with those athletes and you know maybe that'll be a better fit and and really just getting the most out of that talent because it's the same players that uh, Frank right. Wilson had, and I don't believe they scored more than 40 points in a ball game in the last three years of the Frank Wilson tenure. So I know the long winded questions will let you have at it. Yeah, no, I would say I'll answer the, the, the last question first. I think, I think a hundred percent, and I think, you know, this game showed it. And I think it will continue to show it. And UTSA has always had athletes and we've talked about this before. I feel like it's like a, it's a sleeping giant. just ready, ready, getting ready to, to explode just from all the talent that they have in Texas and the, the athletes that they can pull from. So, yes, I think this offense does add that, and uh, I think it's a, a huge recruiting tool as well. And it's one thing, you know, Frank Harris did do well as recruit. He just did not uh, develop like they wanted to see. And then uh, as it comes to Frank Harris, <clears throat> the injury con- the injuries are a concern to me. <clears throat> but here's, here's kind of if I'm Frank Harris, if I'm giving advice to Frank Harris, what I see from this is, yes, you're a great athlete. Yes, you rushed for three touchdowns this past weekend. You're going to rush for a lot more. But just the just your ability to run is a, is a weapon in itself. It's in the it's in the minds of the defensive players in the on the in the defensive coordinator. Like they're going to be preparing for you to run. And when that with that said, that's going to open up throwing lanes. It's going to open up the passing game as well because most likely they're going to have to dedicate one player to Frank Harris because if they don't, he's going to do what he did what he did at Texas State and he's going to run all over him. But if they if they have to dedicate one player to Frank Harris, that's going to allow Frank Harris to. Uh, kind of take advantage of that and rely more on the passing game. And then once he shows the ability to, you know, purely rely on the throwing game, then I think you really got a, you really got a weapon in Frank Harris because he's going to be very hard to defend. I think he's very capable of doing that. And, I, and you know, it, like we t- talked about earlier uh, in Frank Harris, 
if they have a, a spy on him or if they, you know, prepare for him in the running game, that's going to open up the ability to push the ball downfield more as well. Second part of that question here, you know, like I mentioned, just did you see and it, because to me, I was to be completely honest, I was a little bit taken aback by how good he looked athletically. And granted, it's Texas State. You know, it's not like he's out there against you know the Clemson defense. But like I said, I'm talking about someone who banged up two ACL injuries, if my memory serves me correct, and a shoulder. Uh, didn't look like he's missing any athleticism out there to you, did it? No, not at all. And that's another thing. I believe you mentioned some of the bigger schools that offered him. I believe he went to UTSA because they offered him as a quarterback. And I believe some of these bigger schools – uh, we're trying to convert him to defensive back, if I'm not mistaken. And so that kind of right there uh, kind of just shows his athletic ability, you know, because DBs are considered, you know, one of the best athletes on the field. So uh, and especially in this day and age and with the treatment we have and, and the ability to come back from an ACL injury, uh, man, it, it, it didn't surprise me, no. And I, I just hope, you know, he's able to, to stay and stay healthy and stay injury-free. And we're going to transition to another phenomenal athlete, the quarterback position, someone who I'm definitely curious to get your thoughts on. It's Tyro Pigram. Uh, I'm going to let you go into your notes, and I will follow up from there because I'm definitely intrigued to see what you um, saw from Mr. Pigram. Yeah, so he's someone who I, I wish I could – I wanted to see more. Um, Grant Louisville is a, a bigger school and, you know, a bold team in the, in the uh, ACC. But I, I did want to see more. But with that said, he showed plenty of glimpses of, of why he was a power five quarterback. He's got a power five arm. Uh, he's able to spin it and he makes some plays with his legs. Uh, able to, he, he was able to, to run around a little bit, but there was no real rhythm to the offense. Uh, it was just kind of a, a play here, play there, play here, play there. Um, but with that said, it was the first first game with the team that played Louisville, and they still were able to put up 21 points uh, against Louisville, and it was a competitive game. So I think with him, the more petition, the better. As good as uh, their defense is, I, I think, and once they come to the, the, the conference play, if their offense can take a few steps, then, man, they could, you know, I know you're high on them, but if they can take a few steps, they could potentially, you know, win, win Conference USA. Steve, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was extremely curious, uh, kind of got the same feeling about Tyrell Pigram. And once again, it's one game. He uh, has not played in a in a uh, fair amount of time. There had a log jam of quarterbacks there at Maryland. You know, current FIU quarterback Max Bordenschlager was there. Tyrell Pigram was there. Uh, they had the kid out of uh, um, New Orleans. I almost forgot my uh, my cities there. New Orleans in a in a Lance, uh, uh, come on, the QB1 kid. I'm forgetting his last name off the top of my head. But essentially, go ahead, Steve. Oh, no, no, I was disagreeing. Yep, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Uh, yeah, essentially, my point is they had a logjam of quarterbacks over there. So he hasn't played in a fair amount of time. But I, like you, I think I kind of wanted to just see more. It, it, it seemed to me, Steve, and this is my, my major follow-up here as far as that game is concerned in Western Kentucky as a whole. The offense did appear a little bit disjointed. A, it's the first game. B, it's the first game out of an offseason that is unlike any other. But with Ty's story, it at least felt like the offense, you know, were they going to be game breakers by a stretch of the imagination? No. But that offense felt together as if you knew somewhere or another they were going to move the ball downfield, convert third downs, and, you know, give uh, their team, which quite frankly, with how – good they are defensively if you can put up 17 to 25 points uh, per game you're going to be in great shape 
it just didn't see like I, I feel like I got that from them early on. So I just want to get your thoughts on that really quickly. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. And at the same time, you know, story and uh, obviously a, a much different quarterback. But I think if people remember remember uh, watching him play, he was a decent athlete himself. He's able to use his legs some too. So I think it's a different offense. Uh, and also a story, he you know didn't start right off the bat. So he had a few games to kind of learn and and kind of be in the process. And once then once Stephen Duncan got hurt, he was able to. Uh, to take over. So he was able to kind of like gradually get put in, uh, if you will, where, you know, uh, is, is, uh, Pagrom's nickname is, is it Piggy? Is that what they called him at Maryland? Yeah. yeah so that's what I have down. So, you know, and then w- when Pagrom was, uh, as, as <clears throat> excuse me, compared to Pagrom, he was kind of just thrown in there without a bunch of you know reps this off season. So definitely plays a role. Um, but I'll, I'll say the positive takeaway is he did show, uh, he, he did show enough for I think Western Kentucky fans to be excited about, and he did show enough uh, ability to uh, potentially uh, grow and and you know take the offense to the next level. Because like you said, if if they just get three touchdowns and three touchdowns and a field goal a game, they they've got a shot to win every game in conference. Before we transition to the American quarterback we have here is Keon Howard, the former Southern Miss QB. We talked about the second part of that breaking news. That is going to be the fact that Tyler Johnson III at UAB appears to be out for an extended period of time, if not the rest of the regular season. And the quarterback taking over will be someone who we saw in week one and Bryson Lacero. Just quick thoughts on him, uh, that what you saw week one and uh, what UAB may be, able, may be able to sustain going forward. Yeah, Lucero might actually have a better arm than than TJ three. He throws the ball downfield really well, and he actually got some playing time against Miami too. And uh, he completed the 30, 40 yard uh, ball downfield from their own end zone. So I think it's a positive that he's gotten his feet wet, and um, he, I think that you know he, he there. I don't think there'll be a big drop off. I like Lucero, and I liked him out of high school. Um, I hope TJ three is able to come back because he's definitely adds a huge uh, element to, to the, uh, the run game with his legs and his abilities to make big plays. But I, I think UAB is still going to be in good shape. So now let's go and transition the key on Howard. Uh, really quick. what you see with the quarterback there at Tulane? Kind of like uh, with, with uh, Piggy from, from Western Kentucky, not a ton. Wasn't super, super impressed. Uh, he made a few throws, had a few good runs, but, uh, you know, besides that, they just squeaked by South Alabama. But his defense is the first real game in years uh, since he, you know, transferred and set and uh, was the backup last year. So, uh, you know, I, I think the jury is still out on that one. I, I don't have a ton on him. As we're going to go and transition, kind of preview our week three games here. Uh, let's start off with Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss. I think that's interesting because we have our first Conference USA interconference matchup, and I think that makes a big difference because, given the nature of the offseason and kind of you know the lack of ability to to prep and practice and all those things, at least you're facing an opponent who you're familiar with somewhat and two CUSA West rivals. So why don't you go and take it away? What you're going to see there, Jack Abraham. And we believe from the opening Louisiana Tech depth chart that it will be Aaron Allen will be the starter. But don't be surprised if we see Luke Anthony as well. Right. I'll, I'll hit on Abraham real quick. I think he's probably had this game circled on his calendar since last year. You know, he <laughs> threw four picks. <laughs> and um, so, you know, he threw four, four. He was having a great season, you know, until La Tech. And, you know, La Tech lost, you know, two, two of their DBs to the NFL. So, 
uh, they'll have to replace that. But, you know, without Abraham, I mean, Southern Miss is going to have their first game without Hobson. So I think it's going to be interesting just overall how the team reacts. And a lot of, you know, that will ride with Abraham being the quarterback. Um, and then when it comes to Louisiana Tech, uh, I did read that like Allen, I think is supposed to be starting, but I did read Luke Anthony should also get time as well. Uh, we know a little bit about both of them. We saw Allen a few times last year when uh, Jamar Smith uh, was suspended. And then Luke Anthony at Abilene Christian playing in the Southland uh, put up good numbers as well. But, you know, this is a different level. So I think the jury is still out on both of them. Um, but I think Abraham, if you're a Southern Miss fan, you want to see Abraham uh, just kind of take charge and lead the team to win here. Let me go ahead and clue our listeners in there and why I kind of giggled there and why we had that moment. Uh, for those of you who may not know, Jack Abraham did spend the beginning of his college football career as a member of the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. Every time Mr. Abraham faces La Tech, specifically last season in Ruston, they are not afraid to let him have it. So that was the uh, the quick note there. Going to transition into SMU and UNT. I know you being a Texan, expect to see a couple quarterbacks slinging it. Ball's going to be in the air. Shane Bouchel and uh, Jason Bean and Austin Ani. Uh, what do you see from uh, that potential quarterback matchup? Man, so I, I have no idea what the over is on this game, uh, but I would be, I would probably, or what the, what the total is, but I'd be inclined to take the over here. Let's see, 70 and a half. I just looked. Well, it's something to, to keep eye on. But, anyways, uh, so I, th- I think, you know, UNT gave up a decent amount of points. I think 30, 30 plus to uh, HBU in, in week one. And HBU Granite has an NFL quality quarterback, but you know so does so does SMU. So I think Shane Bochelle is going to look to take advantage uh, of that defense and and you know push the ball downfield. But SMU also let a, a Texas State team hang around, and they let an athletic quarterback Brady McBride make some plays on him. And you know, Jason Bean uh, is going to you know I think be able to make some plays as well. And I would not be surprised to see uh, UNT get the victory here. Uh, maybe just because I'm I'm a little biased to to conference USA just a bit, um, but I like Jason Bean a lot, and I, I think you probably see him get the majority of the reps. Uh, but I think it's a high scoring game with with a lot of points and balls being pushed downfield. Really quick, you mentioned that Houston Baptist is an NFL quarterback and Bailey Zappi. We are going to get into Bailey Zappi because he's putting up tremendous numbers, and they're only playing a three game season, so <laughs> you don't have very many opportunities to get into him past uh, eleven days from now when they face La Tech. So next episode, be prepared for some Bailey Zappi talk. Uh, he's put him tremendous numbers against, quite frankly, competition that head and shoulders, the, the competition they're playing, the teams are better than them. So the next matchup probably will be, you know, the G5 matchup of the weekend. I believe that game was pushed to CBS, not just CBS Sports, but it's actually going to be on CBS nationally. Appalachian State is heading to Marshall. I uh, want to know what you see from uh, that potential quarterback matchup there in Grant Wells. And uh, and I guess uh, maybe the Grant Wells thing is, is my thing. I want to know what you see from Grant Wells first. And then, of course, from the uh, Appalachian State uh, situation there, quarterback. Yeah, so I think, you know, w- weather permitting, this would be, you know, the, the first time we can see App State's offense open up. Um, I think they're only a five-point favorite. Favorite, I expect a pretty close game. And, uh expect Zach Thomas to do, you know, Zach Thomas things, take, uh, take control, take care of the ball, run a little bit, uh, but make smart decisions and, and take what the defense gives them. And then I'm super excited for Grant Wells because I think we're going to learn a lot about Grant Wells after this game. It's one thing it's Eastern Kentucky where he looked great and we applaud him for that. But now you're playing App State who arguably is always one of the best teams in the entire G5. Uh, so 
Uh, I think I think Marsh will have its hands full. I don't think we're going to see a 56-point game um, from Marshall, but I think it's going to be a pretty – I do think it's going to be a close game, and I expect both quarterbacks uh, to play well, but I think we're going to learn a lot about Grant Wells. Really quick, Steve misspoke there. Typically, I would not call him out, but I do not want Hilltopper fans in our mentions. Uh, he meant oh, Eastern. Oh, gosh. Oh, my fault. Yep. Thank you. You're all good. I just don't want the uh, the old Tops fans to get a little offended there. Uh, before we transition away, Steve, really quick, with Grant Wells, um, we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about Isaiah Green. want to ask you this, you know, because obviously you can get a little too high coming off of Eastern Kentucky. Don't want to get too low if he doesn't look particularly well against a very good ranked team in Appalachian State. want to ask you this. From a young quarterback making his second start, what are some of the things that you will key on and look uh, look specifically at in his performance against App State? I think the I think he's probably going to see uh, a lot more different kind of uh, coverage, uh, kind of a uh, cover schemes, and and um, see a lot more defensive looks. Uh, I think he's not going to see you know when you're playing kind of a, a base level defense, you might just it's easy to tell if it's zone man. So I think with App State, uh, one thing I'm looking for is okay. Is he reading his read side? Is coming off his receiver too early? Is he looking at his receiver or is he looking at the defense? So I think those are the kind of things I'll be looking for. Uh, and, you know, if he is looking, you know, at the defense and not his receiver, then, you know, I think he's going to do well. If, if he's looking at the play develop as opposed to eyeing on his receiver, then I think he'll do well. So kind of how we talked about uh, earlier with, with Levi Lewis, the biggest thing I'll, I'll look for Grant Wells is just his eyes and his head placement and what he's doing pre-snap. The last matchup we will get into as far as week three, the UCF Knights. Everyone's favorite national champs, including the host of this podcast, will be taking on Georgia Tech. Uh, Steve, is, Steve is laughing as I say that. Uh, I can see his face uh, via the Uber conference. Um, let's talk about what you're looking for, you know, to get on a serious note. Dylan Gabriel entering year two. Um, he's someone who, quite frankly, is looked at as one of the top G5 quarterbacks. What are you looking for from him, especially given just the amount of weapons that UCF has been able to develop and and have over in the roster over the past few years? Just to be on record, I will um... – I like UCF, but I, I don't think I'll give him the national championship. You're talking about Dylan Gabriel here in the rec, and then what you're, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I purposely cut off. I'm just kidding. I know. I know. So, yeah. No, I'm excited because I think Georgia Tech's a pretty, a pretty good opponent for them, uh, you know, showing that they beat Florida State. So I think this is going to be a pretty big matchup for, uh, UCF, for UCF and Dylan Gabriel in general. If you're just kind of a – a new UCF fan, you know, if you just joined the bandwagon a few years ago, you might think, ah, oh, Georgia Tech, you know, we should take care of them. They're not a great Power Five. We should, you know, roll roll over them like we have in the past years over several Power Five schools. Uh, but, but you know, if someone, you know, like you and, and people that kind of follow college football in more detail, I think they know that Jeff Collins has Georgia Tech in the right direction. And defensively it showed, even though Florida State's not an offensive juggernaut by any means, uh, they held a Florida State to 13 points. <clears throat> So I think I think you know they're going to be able to watch that film and take a lot from it. Uh, Dylan Gabriel has always done well throwing the ball downfield. That's what he's kind of known for being a deep ball thrower. So I want to see 
uh, if he can make some short intermediate throws uh, because I think Georgia Tech is probably going to try to take away the deep balls and is going to force UCF and force Dylan Gabriel to methodically drive down the field uh, as opposed to, to, to taking the top to taking to, to as opposed to, to going deep and trying to take the top off so I think they watch film and I think Dylan Gabriel is going to focus on short intermediate passes maybe fall, get Georgia Tech to fall asleep and take a deep shot here and there but I expect a close game man uh, I, I kind of laugh there because there absolutely is a segment of the UCF uh, new fan population that in the event that UCF loses to Georgia Tech, they'll look to burn down uh, Bounce House, formerly known as Spectrum Stadium. They'll want to burn it down immediately. Uh, Steve, really quick. Um, how difficult is it for you to assess a quarterback, especially someone like Dylan Gabriel? Uh, I guess this is a two-part question, or maybe it's personal on my part. One, is it almost becoming a situation at UCF where – not to take anything away from their quarterbacks, but they almost are like system quarterbacks in a sense because you've seen the success that Dylan Gabriel, Mackenzie Milton, uh, Daryl Mack when he came in, just mm-hmm. kind of that system. And, and and you know, for the effort of full disclosure, I think Mackenzie Milton was another level of success that we haven't seen so far. But do you kind of see them becoming like a system that can just churn out quarterbacks left and right? And the second part of that question is how difficult is it for you to assess uh, a quarterback when they have such great weapons around them? So I'll answer the first, you know, first part uh, first. Uh, I think it is a system, but that's okay. I think you know, if you're a coach, you want to find a quarterback that fits your system. And the fact that you know UCS been you know, so good as of late, Mackenzie Milton kind of really elevated that program. That attracts more talent, and you know that is why I think Dylan Gabriel was attracted to UCF. I know he had several uh, big offers. Uh, so I think yes, it, it is a system. The system makes the quarterback, but that's okay. You know, it happens uh, even in the NFL. You you want to find a quarterback that fits your system. So uh, I think it meshes together. Um, and the, the the second part to your question, when, when evaluating quarterbacks, I kind of feel like if you have a lot of talent around you, if you're making that talent better, then you're in a good position regardless how much talent you have around you and you're doing a good job, kind of like the, the Tom Brady effect. However – if you are just relying on the talent around you to make you a good quarterback, then, you know, you, you probably, uh, you probably have hit your ceilings, but I think in Gabriel's case, I think he makes his talented players around him better. I, I hope that makes sense. If you're, if you're a quarterback and you got a lot of talent and you can make those guys better around you, uh, then I think that speaks, speaks a lot and it's easier to evaluate a quarterback uh, that, that does that. Going to go ahead and wrap up the podcast here. As always, want to thank you for listening. Please leave us feedback. Please subscribe. Please leave reviews on uh, podcast.apple.com. When you find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, it is the only way we can help this podcast grow. On Twitter, you can find the podcast account at QB Spotlight. Like I said, you can find myself on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. And you can find the man himself, Mr. QB Spotlight, at S-T-E-V-E-N, last name H-A-M-N-E-R, Stephen Hamner. Thank you for listening, and uh, happy football watching, everybody. Football is back, and we will come back and break down week three and preview week four.